just a, a paragraph. And I've kind of been ruminating it over ever since, over it ever since, that there is so much more to unpack in the opening verses of John 15. And I've wanted to maybe attempt to do a little more justice to that. Um, Jesus talks about abiding in him. He talks about bearing much fruit. And many times when we think of this vineyard experience that we're supposed to have or that we get to have as Christians, we get a picture similar to this. Beautiful setting, luxurious vineyard, amazing fruit, right? Like, wow, that's where it's at. And that's the expectation, right? And yet, in reality, many times we find ourselves in a different season or a different reality that looks a little more like that, right? And Jesus addresses these things in these verses. Many times it's pruning. Many times there's things that get cut off, that get pruned, that get burned. And so we want to look a little bit at what he says um, Maybe I'll stop back on this picture because that's more pleasant to look at. If you would stand with me and turn to John chapter 15. I'm just going to read the first 17 verses there. Jesus says uh, a little backdrop to this. The Last Supper has just ended. They are either on the Mount of Olives or he's having this conversation with them as they're walking one or the other. Um, Jesus is worth, worth noting here right as they were finishing up there in the upper room, Jesus was talking to them about the fact that he's leaving. He's talking to them about the fact that this is the end of the three years with them on earth. But he says, notably, devotes a section of the end of that conversation with them in the upper room to the fact that there's a helper coming, that he's not leaving them as orphans. And then they get up, they're on their way, walking, I assume, through the dusk or through the dark to the Mount of Olives. And he makes an astounding statement. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you may love one another. You can be seated. We see here in verse 1, he starts with an I am. This is one of the last, actually, of seven I am statements in the book of John. The first, I believe in chapter 4, I am the bread of life, he says. Then he says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. The disciples were very familiar with Israel being depicted as a vine in a vineyard. There are pictures of fruitfulness in the prophetic and the prophecies of what Israel would become from the very earliest um, points of God calling Israel as a nation. And his covenant with them. And I think maybe more significantly to what the disciples would have felt, understood when Jesus brings up this comparison of a vineyard, would have been some of the more recent prophecies that take a little bit of a different turn. Um, prophecies against Israel, such as Jeremiah 2, in verse 21, Jeremiah says, Yet I planted you. A choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Hosea says in chapter 10, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Isaiah devotes a long passage to it. This analogy of how God created them as a beautiful vineyard. And they turned away from him. So here we have Jesus, as he so often did in his teaching, he uses a very familiar picture, very familiar terms from the Old Testament, but some, he changes something dramatically. So he's giving them this picture of a vineyard. God's still the vine dresser, but there's a new vine in the vineyard now. It's not them as God's vineyard, it's them as he is the vine and they're the branches. So we, in the, the picture of the vineyard, we now have Jesus entering into the picture. So against the backdrop of, backdrop of Israel as this vineyard kind of going rogue and becoming a thorn-infested, wild, useless vineyard, Jesus says, I am the true vine. 
You are the branches. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The source of life. Moving to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. He kind of goes back and forth here a little bit. Repeats himself a few times and is emphasizing certain parts here. So in this section, I think there's a few things that stand out as really noteworthy. The first is that obviously the fruit that he's talking about is not physical fruit. When he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We see people that don't know Christ accomplish amazing things. He's talking about something eternal here. And because of that, I think it's safe to say that many times this fruit may look a little different than what we would expect, which I think may also speak back to sometimes some of our disillusionment when we feel like a freshly pruned vine, right? But I'm jumping ahead there. So the fruit is spiritual. The fruit is eternal. Many times it doesn't look like what we would choose. Second thing we notice is that we cannot produce fruit on our own. This eternal fruit, this fruit of lasting eternal value, cannot. By all your efforts, all your righteousness, cannot produce a single grape. So it's not about us trying to drum up something when he says, it's my Father's will that you abide in me and bear much fruit. This is not at all saying that you better drum something up and it better look good or you're getting axed. That is not the message here in these verses. It is his life flowing through us that produces the fruit. It's simply our choice to stay connected, to abide. It's about being connected. I think this word abide that we see here in practical terms basically means stay connected. Stay connected to your source of life. If you find yourself in that place where you look and it's just the evidence is, you know what? I'm not bearing fruit. Abide. Connect to the source of life. Allow his word to cleanse you. Pruning is ugly. It's dying. It's letting go. Um, When you look in the mirror, there's nothing fun about pruning. It seems like so many times we find our identity 
And we live for those moments when it's summer, the leaves are green, the fruit is beautiful, the weather's perfect, like the, it's gone, that's fine. Um, this, this euphoria of everything's just right. And yet the reality many times is so far from that. Um, it allows us to see where we were finding our identity. And that can be excruciating. Many times it's easy to find our identity in the fruit. There's a big difference. The fact that you, the, the fact that you produce grapes doesn't make you let me say this right. The fact that I produce grapes doesn't make me a grapevine. The fact that I am a grapevine means that I can and should produce grapes. And we often get that turned around. So in those moments where it's a season, there's, there's times where we're in the midst of fruitfulness and it's great. And just when we think everything's going great and we finally gotten somewhere and we're finally fulfilling God's calling on our life and we're finally like here's a crop God yes it's fall it's time to prune and it can be devastating if we don't understand the way God works in our lives and the way the seasons work and that it's not about us finding our identity in the fruit. Also, I think it's worth mentioning, we need to be careful in this process of pruning about the assumptions about the people around us. Because it's really easy to look at the person next to you who has just been harshly pruned. And you are loaded with grapes. And say, wow, I see. Don't we all, aren't we all a little guilty of that? Like, better check your connection over there. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This kind of blows my mind. It doesn't say... Seek the will of the Father and he will grant it to you. It doesn't say, like, you're going to be doing, like, God's perfect will perfectly all the time. It just says there is a place of connectedness and abiding in Christ for us as believers. As I understand this, where our wishes are just exactly what his are. And as a result of that, you can ask whatever you wish and it will happen. Period. Honest moment, expectation versus reality. I'm not abiding that way. So I'm preaching to myself as much as you all this morning. But it's possible. And it's here for us.
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the point again of bearing, of being fruitful, of bearing much fruit, is to bring glory to God. And it is a proof of authenticity. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I think here he kind of brings this home to us. Many times it's easy to, at least for me, okay, we can kind of read some of this and it's just a little bit euphoric. You know, we're just, me and Jesus hanging out. We're just over here abiding. It's good. And now he starts to get brutally practical, as he so often does. It's practical. He says, this is not some surreal, euphoric place of alternate reality. He says, no, keep my commandments. Walk in obedience. I think it's probably safe to say here that if you were one of the disciples that were physically present that night, listening to these words from Jesus, when he said, keep my commandments, I'm guessing it would have a little different connotation than what it has for us today. Like living with him for three years, watching him work the miracles, watch him walking out for three years, perfect obedience to his father, as he says later on. And he says simply, if you want to abide in my love, here's the standard. Again, not that we're doing that in our own strength or our own ability, but here's the standard. Keep my commandments. Abide in my love. I think it's interesting how he ties those two things so closely together, isn't it? This is not, again, an unattainable, impossible goal. It's not some place of alternate reality. It's a simple staying connected to your source of life and walking in obedience, just as he modeled before his disciples. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I find that, again, it's fascinating. Jesus, it's almost like he goes this far, and he now takes a step back. He says, you know why I'm like saying all this to you? Because I want, as I have this perfect connection with my Father, as I've walked with him, In perfect obedience, I have this incredible life, this incredible joy that's just there. I'm telling you this so that you can, in staying connected, in abiding to your source of life, you're going to experience that same joy. And not only that, Jesus says, I mean, you think about the irony of Jesus saying that walking into in the next few hours the most indescribable weight of carrying the sins of the entire world and he's here talking about joy 
fullness of joy. This is not dependent on our circumstances. This is not dependent on our feelings. Something so much deeper that we can find in that connection with Christ. He goes on, comes back now to his theme of loving each other. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And to get practical, greater love has no one than this. This one lays down his life for his friends. I think it's interesting. And maybe I'm just with the language um, picking at semantics here. But I think it's interesting that he says lays down his life. Many times it's a little easier to just go take a bullet for someone than it is to lay your life down for them. On a practical daily, like when they're really annoying. When... They've sinned against you the 70th time, and you're still called to forgive. That takes a little more work. Yeah, I love, I love enough. I would, I would gladly give my life, but to actually lay down my life, and I'm, I realize I'm just picking at the words a little bit, but I think this is where it gets practical. And then he goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. But I call you friends because I've made everything known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear much fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that, again, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. One of the things that he inserts here that he's not repeating from previous is that you are chosen. This is central to your purpose. I hear, talk to people a lot, and people say, I just, I don't know what God's real purpose for me in life is. I'm just trying to find out what exactly God wants me to do with my life. I'm trying to figure out, you know, where do I fit into the the big picture? You are chosen. You're called not a servant, but a friend. I don't know specifically always what that means. But abide in him and the fruit will start to flow. It's not about getting it exactly right, about looking like a certain picture or the person beside you. It's not about trying to produce fruit that will make you worthy enough that he's going to look at you next spring and say, yeah, that was, you know, I'd like to see a lot more grapes, but four or five, I'll let you on on the vine for another year. See how you do. That's not the focus, okay? It's about abiding in him. And so much of that is... Our choices. So we don't get to produce our fruit, but we do get to make choices. Satan's probably biggest weapon, I think, is telling us lies and getting us to make a choice to agree with him about the lie. And that is how he shuts off that flow of life into our lives. 
when you're in an intense emotional situation, when you're in a situation of high pressure, when you're in a situation where you're looking at your life and it is just bare, empty branches right now. Satan, rather than saying, God, I'm going to abide in you and I'm going to trust you. Satan wants you to look at that and say, yeah, you're a failure. You've probably already been cut off. I bet what you're seeing right now is you're on the burn pile and the fire's just fixing to get lit. And when we agree with that, we cut off that flow of life. When we agree with that and say, yeah, that's probably me. We cut off the flow of life. And we choose, yep, Satan, you're right. I'm not going to believe God. I'm going to go with what you said. In those moments, I think imperative to our connection to the vine is the choice to trust God and to believe God, even in the face of things feeling otherwise. So, closing here, I think there's probably nothing more amazing than a big bunch of fresh grapes. They're, at least for me. I mean, it's just delicious. And that is amazing, especially if refrigerated for a few days. But there's something that I think maybe captures where some of this passage is going. Many times, to get a lot more out of that bunch of grapes. And, and many times we want to be there. Like, I just, it is, and that's fine. It's okay to enjoy that. But many times, those grapes, many times the very best grapes, the most very beautiful grapes, are picked thrown into a vat and crushed, trampled, beaten, squished into oblivion. Part of it's thrown away. The rest of it is, I should note in that process, all of the substance, all of the form, all of the identity, of the grape is lost. It loses its individuality. It loses its very makeup. The pulp is thrown away. The juice is put under pressure. Stuck into a dark cellar and forgotten. For years. Depending on how good the grapes are. And what the intent is, sometimes for tens of years or hundreds of years. And those grapes sit in that cellar in the darkness and rot, essentially. It's a good kind of rot. But many times we don't realize that, right? 
And so I just want to end this by saying, if you find yourself in a place where you've been stripped of your identity, of your meaning of everything that you thought God had in store for you, that you were supposed to be becoming and producing as a Christian, don't give up today. Just abide in him and allow him to choose the end result and the product.